Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, it's good to see all of y'all tonight uh, on this very, very rainy uh, and kind of dreary night, I guess, in some ways. Uh, I hate that I wasn't able to be here last week. If you were here last week, you got to hear Braden brutally uh, say several things about me. Uh, I got the audio sent to me afterwards, and so I went to upload it and put it on podcast stuff or whatever. And I was like, I'm going to at least listen to the beginning of it tonight because it was kind of late. And so I, I listened to it, and one, I heard a torrential downpour, like, during the middle of it. I was like, I don't know what happened. And then I joked to him, I said, if you don't know what our building looks like, the noise of closing that sounds like you're in the bottom of, like, a big ancient ship, like, with the clink, 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 clink. I was like, man, that kind of sounds weird. But anyway, I'm not going to take time to defend myself from everything that Braden said, but I was a very easy target. I was really sick, but my mama didn't come to my rescue. He lied about that. So anyway, um, y'all, I'm excited to have y'all here tonight uh, as we continue our series in Philippians. If you have your Bible with you, turn to Philippians chapter 1. Um, we're going to kind of pick up where Braden left off, and one of the things that I am thankful for is to have guys like Braden and Jacob and other guys here who I know if I ever need something or if I am going to get sick, I know guys are going to get up here and faithfully uh, be able to deliver the word to you. So um, Braden did an excellent job at that. Turn to Philippians chapter 1, and uh, what we're going to see here is we're going to see a, a major shift. If you haven't been with us last week or the week before, we're doing a series through Philippians called Gospel Worthy. And the whole idea behind this series and the idea behind uh, really Philippians is to see how can we live in light of what we know? How can we live in light of the gospel? How can we live in such a way that you can say we live a gospel-worthy life? The gospel is lived out in our lives. And last week, uh, Braden talked about verses 3 through 11. And really, this is Paul's greeting. This is Paul's encouragement to them. This is Paul expressing his hope for the church in Philippi. And now he's about to turn from all of that to telling them about his condition and where he's been and what's been going on. I want you to imagine this. Imagine that you haven't heard from a friend that went on a mission trip and you haven't heard from them in a month, but you do know that they actually got arrested and they're in a prison over there. You probably would be worried about them, right? You probably would want to hear from them. And so this is the first time Paul is actually going to turn and talk to them about what's going on in his life. But of course, in Pauline fashion, he does it in a very different way than probably how I would and you would. So let's read. Uh, we're going to be in chapter one. We're going to read the bulk of it first, verses 12 through 26. Um, and then we're going to pray and dive in. Paul says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. But that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, 
so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray tonight that we would, we would still our hearts. God, that we would be quiet, that, that we would not let the commotion of our lives keep us from hearing what it is you have to say to us. The most glorious thing that we believe in this room is that this is your word. And whenever we open this word, you are speaking to us. Father, help us listen. Help us see. Help us respond. Show us, God, what you have for us. Show us what you're calling us to do. And help us live for you. We ask all of this, Father, in your precious and holy Son's name. Amen. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. My guess is many of you have probably heard that phrase before in something. Keep the main thing the main thing. And it's really interesting. If you don't keep the main thing, then eventually the main thing no longer becomes the main thing, right? You see this in all kinds of things where, where if, if you have a mission statement or a hope as an organization, if, if you don't make sure to keep that mission in front of your organization constantly, it will no longer become the main thing. And nothing is more, is more able to really fall from this than something like the Christian faith. Where if we don't keep the main thing, the main thing, we'll start living for something else. And y'all, this is one of the things that we've seen in our time, the last 100 years, the main thing oftentimes hasn't been the main thing. The main thing of living for Christ and living for the gospel hasn't been the main thing. There's been other things that have crept in and they have become the main thing. Social justice now is the main thing. Ethics now is the main thing. All this, that, and the other is the main thing. And what we have to realize is if we don't keep the main thing, the main thing, we're in dire trouble and in dire need. And what Paul does, once again, Pauline fashion, he wants to start off by telling these people, I'm going to tell you about what's going on in my life, but the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to tell you, remember the main thing. And so tonight we're going to look at what's the main thing and how should we live in light of the main thing. So literally, what's the main thing and how do we keep it the main thing? The first point is this, it's the Christian's main concern is the advancement of the gospel. The main thing, the Christian's main concern is the advancement of the gospel. Look again at verses 12 through 14. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Listen to what he says. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me so the question I want to start with is, what has happened to Paul? We've talked a little bit about this, but what really has happened to Paul? Where Paul is right now is he is in under house arrest and prison in Rome. Let me tell you a little bit about what's happened to Paul. So Paul was about to go to Jerusalem, and the people that he was around said, don't go to Jerusalem. They will try and kill you there. And he said, the Lord has told me to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to go. He goes to Jerusalem. He gets there. They beat him like crazy to where it causes such a commotion, the soldiers come, and if had they not gotten there, the Bible in Acts, it says that they would have killed him. Whenever the soldiers get there, they take Paul, and they go to take him away to the barracks, and as they're taking him away, the people are trying to get to Paul so fiercely or ferociously, they have to pick him up and carry him through the mob. So he's been beaten, he's been, had this said about him, so then he's in prison there for two whole years. 
Not because he has any reason to be in prison, but he's in prison for two whole years because the emperor at that time, or, or the governor at that time, sorry, Governor Felix, wanted somebody to pay for him to get released. He was thinking, what could I get out of this? So he's been beaten. Obviously, they were trying to kill him. He's been in prison for two years without any cause, and so he appeals to Caesar to go to Rome to actually get his case heard. On the way to Rome, it's all nice and easy, right? Not at all. He gets shipwrecked. Then he gets bitten by a snake. This guy's got bad luck, right? <laughs> Shipwrecked, then beaten by, I mean, then bitten by a snake. Then he gets there. Now he's under house arrest. What this would have looked like is, is from, from what I've read is there's two types of house arrest. There's either a, a guard or a soldier that's with you at all times in your house and you're not allowed to go anywhere or there's a guard inside your house chained up to you the whole time and you're not allowed to go anywhere. It could be interesting, chained up to somebody else, right? And so what Paul is saying, what has happened to me? All this that has happened to me, you don't see him then go on this long description of, hey, I want to tell you about what's happened. Instead, he starts off by saying, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. This is what I want you to know. What I want you to know is not, hey, guys, this is what's happened to me. What I want you to know, guys, is my arm is healing because I broke it. What I want you to know is, man, my, my leg where I got bit is starting to heal up. What I want you to know, he doesn't get into any of that. He says, what I want you to know is this, that all that has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Essentially, Paul is saying this. What I want you to know is not how I am doing, but I want you to know what the Lord is doing. Not how I'm doing, but what the Lord is doing. And essentially he's saying, what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. At the very end here, look, he says that, that the whole imperial guard and to all the rest, they have learned that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul is saying, because of what has happened to me, this whole imperial guard has got to hear the gospel of Jesus. Now we have to understand what the imperial guard is. These were extremely influential soldiers. They were hand-picked soldiers that were paid double. There was about 9,000 of them who served in Rome. And these guys cycled out who got to be with Paul. Now, obviously not all 9,000 were with Paul, but what Paul is saying is the guys that are with me have heard about what's happened to me. I've gotten to share the gospel with them, and then it's become known to the whole imperial guard about why I'm here. And then he even says, and all the rest of them, the other people who are there, they've heard about the gospel because of what has happened to me. Secondly, notice what he says in verse 14. He says, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. These people are much more bold to speak the word without fear. In other words, they've seen and heard what's happened to me. And because of that, they want to they share the gospel even more. This is what's happening. Is What I want you to know is the gospel is being furthered. Don't pity me. Don't worry about me. Don't feel sorry for me. But know that what is happening to me, God has a plan for it. And what's even more interesting is you notice if you go through 15 and 18, Paul literally says some people are preaching Christ out of, I guess we'll read it. I got it up on the screen. He says some, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. Not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. What do we see here? We see here Paul is saying there are people who are sharing Jesus Christ, and this is amazing. There's even people who are doing it out of envy and rivalry with me. But you know what? 
I'm still going to rejoice because Jesus Christ is being preached. What are they saying about me? I don't know. What is their motive fully behind it? I don't know, but I know this. They're preaching Jesus Christ, and in that, I rejoice. One scholar says about Paul, whenever you read this passage, you see one thing about him. He is utterly fixated on the spread of the gospel. He's utterly fixated and hoping for the spread of the gospel. This was the number one priority for him. He didn't say, hey, I want you to tell me, or I want you to worry about my circumstances. I want to fix it on what's going wrong. He, he says, I'm going to rejoice in the fact that Christ is being preached. The truth is this, guys. We rejoice in what we value. And Paul says, above all, I value the gospel. I value the spread of the gospel. His main aspiration in life wasn't his career, wasn't his family, wasn't his hobbies, wasn't anything else but the spread of the gospel. Now that's coming out the gate pretty hard, right? Starting off just right here. His main goal and his main aspiration is the gospel. But y'all wanna ask, ask this. We, one of the things that we see here is what drives Paul to be who he is. What drives Paul to do what he does is the gospel. And I think for you and me, we have to turn the mirror and look at ourselves and simply say, what drives you? What drives you? What drives me? What's the engine that keeps me going? What's the motivation for my each and every day? What am I doing? What drives me? Y'all, I'm sure many of you in here probably have played sports or or something like that before. And one of the best ways to be able to help, y'all, I'm sorry, I think I see a lot of people doing this. Is it cold in here? Is it freezing? Jacob, can one of y'all like bump up something on each of the sides? Sorry, it's kind of hard to preach to you whenever they're looking at you and they're going. I'm like, yeah, is that, am I scaring you or are you cold? Um, but, but if you've ever played sports, one of the best ways to make your team, to motivate your team to play really well is you got to keep the goal in front of them at all times. I've told you all this before. I said this some last year is, is my coach did a great job of this. If we ever won a tournament, he would keep the trophy in there whenever we practiced so we could look at it. And so we could say, okay, that was great. We want to do something like that again. If you were to lose, he'd get the newspaper article where it said that we lost or whatever, and he would put it up and he would highlight anything that said how bad we played. It's kind of like pouring salt in the wound. But it motivated us. We came to practice and we were like, okay, like, we got to practice hard. We got, we got to put this goal up in front of us. And y'all, trophies and winning aren't bad goals. They're motivations for sports. But I want you to think about what if you have a different motivation? Is it possible to have a greater motivation? This will be my second time to preach, and both times Garrison Bundy has made it in. He's famous here. So Garrison, Garrison was at my house the other day, and he was talking to me, and he goes, Merrick, I'm actually going to enter into a 100-mile walk, run, something like that. Um, a 100-mile walk, we'll go with that. A 100-mile walk, and it's for a gym in, in Shreveport. I think it's called Christ Gym, uh, and it's help, helping them support so that they can really live out their mission um, to, to, to influence their area through Christ and through working out. And he's like, is there any way you might would sponsor me? You know, he said, I'll do anything. A penny a, a mile, uh, 50 cents a mile, a dollar a mile or something like that. And, and what's interesting is, is whenever you have a cause, a lot of times people would do things they otherwise wouldn't do or they'd be going 100 miles. A lot of times you'll have people gather around you in something that normally they wouldn't do. And whenever you have a motivation that's greater than yourself, it changes things. If I were to tell you today, hey, look, we're going to have a 10-mile run slash walk next week. We're going to go and do it for fun. How many of you would be there? Five people. Let's do it, right? But if I were to tell you, hey, look, if you, we got a guy who says, I'll give a million dollars 
to St. Jude's for every mile one of your students runs? How many of you would be there? Some of you would be like, I'd be crawling, but I'd be there, right? Like, like you're going to go as many miles as you can, right? Because that old saying where you hear people say, it's not about me, it's bigger than me. Whenever you have a motivation greater than yourself, it causes you to do things differently. It provides an even greater motivation. What's a trophy? What's a state championship? What's a national championship to doing something for a cause? And this is what Paul is saying. Paul's saying, my motivation and my aim in life is to take this gospel as far as I possibly can for as long as I possibly can. Church of Philippi, what I want you to know is that what's happened to me doesn't matter because it has proven to serve to advance the gospel. And that's my greatest motivation. Whatever it means, I want to advance the gospel. I want to to take the gospel to other people. This is what drove Paul. And once again, it causes us to say, what drives you? What drives me? What's your great aspirations in life? What are your great goals? This leads to even another question you see from Paul is, is do you advance the gospel? Do you advance the gospel? Paul says that his main aim and goal is to advance the gospel. And whenever I say advance the gospel, I mean Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, and now his current living in heaven as Lord. Do you seek to advance the gospel message of Jesus Christ? Is this your primary concern? Do you talk about Jesus at all? Is this on your mind at all? You know, the truth is, and I'm extremely convicted by this, is oftentimes we do not even think about sharing the gospel with other people. We often are not driven or challenged to go and advance the kingdom of God. And y'all, you know, I think that the church in some ways has gone about this wrong. I don't want to say this completely, but I think we've said the mode to be able to counteract this is we need better evangelism training is we got to train people. Now, don't get me wrong. We need evangelism training. That helps. But I don't think evangelism training is the problem. I don't think that we don't share Christ with people because we don't know how to or because we're really scared about the answers. I think that we don't share people. I I think that we don't share the gospel or share Christ with people because we just don't talk about the gospel that often. We're honestly just not used to talking about the gospel. Think about in an average day with even Christian friends. How often do you talk about Jesus? How often do you talk about what he's doing in your life? How often do you talk about what he's teaching you? How often do you ask questions that are based in that? The truth is, y'all, as many of us, if not most of us, don't talk about the gospel in normal conversation. Therefore, we really struggle to bring it up in a different situation. If we don't talk about it with our friends, what makes us think we will with a stranger? I love how how one scholar, he puts this perfectly. He says, perhaps our failure to talk about the gospel to unbelievers is tied to our lack of talking about the gospel to anyone, including one another. Once again, look at Paul. Because Paul was in Rome, the gospel was advancing more than if he wasn't there. Because Paul was in Rome and you were a soldier attached to him, you've read his letters. Can you imagine being attached to Paul? Imagine what that would have been like. This man would have been talking to you about Jesus and what he's done in his life and and, and what's gone on in his heart and in his life. This was what he's about. This would be the main motivator for him. But the thing that Paul learned is Paul learned to constantly talk about the gospel, to make it at the forefront of his mind. Another way to put it, I've heard it said like this, is he gossiped the gospel. We need to learn to gossip the gospel. I want you to think about this. 
Now, I know that there's nobody in here who struggles with gossiping, right? I think it's funny. All, all the time, you know, like you say, and guys are like looking around for girls. Guys, I've been around you. I know you do it too. We talk about each other. We talk about stuff. But think about gossiping. Whenever you gossip about someone, you will make sure you find an angle to work in what you're wanting to talk about, right? Let's say you heard about something that happened between two of your friends, and you go and you're talking to one of those friends one day, and you're like, oh, yeah, so how have things been going? And then you're randomly like, so what would you do Thursday night? That's kind of random. What are you talking about? I was just wondering, you know, what would you do Thursday night? You know, it's, it's a good night. What would you do? Uh, you know, I mean, I was kind of here. I was like, oh, okay. Did, did you, uh, were you at Fox's? Or, no, it's not Fox's anymore. Johnny's Pizza? Were you at Johnny's? Man, Fox's. Now I feel really old. Are, are, were you at Johnny's? Like, yeah, that's kind of weird. I was just wondering what happened over there. Or you know what I'm talking about. If you want to say something about someone or if you want to get information about someone or if you want to gossip about someone, you can be in the middle of a conversation and you just kind of find a way to throw in a little, so have you talked to so-and-so lately? You know what I'm talking about. And guys, what we have to learn how to do is, is I'm not saying make the gospel the only thing that you talk about. What I'm saying is make the gospel something that we delight in talking about. What I'm saying is how can you learn to make the gospel something you talk about often? How can you make it to where whenever it's time to share with somebody who doesn't know Jesus, this isn't the first time you've talked to another person about Christ in a long time. Our problem isn't necessarily lack of evangelism, training. Our problem is lack of just talking to people about Jesus. Just like I said, because Paul was in Rome, the gospel was advancing more than if he wasn't there. And the question for us is, is the gospel advancing more at tech because you're here? Is the gospel being shared with more people at tech because you're here? Is Christianity having a different movement because you're here than if you weren't here? And y'all, let me be very upfront. This has been one of the more difficult passages I have ever studied because it is the most convicting passage for me. As I'm reading this, I think and I'm like, there are times where I can stand up here on a stage and be so bold, but stand in front of other people and be so timid. And the truth is, is because I am guilty of this as well. But what Paul is saying is if you make your main concern the advancement of the gospel, you learn to talk about Jesus. You learn to look at all of your situation as an opportunity to spread the name of Jesus. You learn to look at all of your circumstances and say, you know what? There's still a way to advance Jesus in this. So once again, what drives you? And is the gospel advanced because you're here? The main concern that Paul talks about is the advancement of the gospel. The main thing is this, furthering the kingdom of God, telling people about Jesus Christ for his glory. But then you see, how does that actually work? How do we actually do that? Well, constantly in guys where we talk about dying to self and living for Christ and to live out the gospel and this is what we see Paul turn to next first he talks about the Christian's main concern which is the advancement of the gospel secondly he shows the Christian's main purpose which is to live for Christ or to live for the gospel look at verses 18 through 22 Paul just finishes saying what then only that in every way whether in pretense or in truth Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice then hear what he says yes And I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life 
or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Paul starts off this, he says, yes, and I will rejoice. We can't spend a ton of time on this first part. We'll talk a lot more about the relationship to others next week. But Paul starts this by saying that I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and through the work of the Spirit, this will turn out for my deliverance. Y'all, to be honest, scholars are all over the place in some aspects of this passage because what's he mean whenever he says for my deliverance? The word deliverance also means salvation, like ultimate salvation. Does he mean it will be my deliverance out of jail and I'll eventually be out of jail? Or does it mean my deliverance is in that I'll go and be with Jesus and I'll we'll finally, you know, my sanctification will be complete. I'll be with him. Like, what does it mean? I don't think that's necessarily the point. I think the main point is that what Paul is saying is their prayers are having an impact on him. The work of the Spirit is having an impact on him. And I think the main gist of what he's trying to say is what comes next. Look at verse 20. He says, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Look essentially at what Paul is saying. He's saying, regardless of what happens, regardless, life or death, regardless, I know two things. He says, I will not be ashamed and Christ will be honored. You know, I think that, that, once again, whenever you get around verses that have impacted people heavily, so often we neglect what is around it. And while for me to live as Christ and to die as gain is a massive verse we're gonna talk about next, this is the heart behind that. He says, I know this much. It's my eager expectation and it's my hope that I will not at all be ashamed. What's that mean? If I go and stand before God, I will not be ashamed at how I live. If I keep living, I will be unashamed in how I live for Jesus. What's it mean? If I die, Christ will be glorified in my life. If I live, Christ will be honored by the way that I live. Y'all, this word honor here is an awesome word. It means to completely magnify something. In other words, I will not be ashamed and Christ will be magnified regardless of what happens. He will be magnified in my life. And then he moves to the bold verse most of us have heard. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is actually really a hard um, verse to, to be able to translate in the Greek because literally Paul just says, Christ is life. Death is gain. Life, Christ, death, gain. In the middle, there is no is. And so you can look at it to say to live is Christ. You can look at it to say for me to live means Christ. You can look at it to say for me living means I will depend on Christ. For me living means I will magnify Christ. What we know is this, is Galatians 2.20, I think I have it for y'all. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is what Paul is saying, y'all. Is he saying, my life is about Jesus. I died to myself. My own ambitions, my own goals, my own old way of life, living for the things of the world. What I live for now is Christ. What he's about, that's what I'm about. What he's for, that's what I'm for. And I will not at all be ashamed. I will live for him, whether life or death, I will live for him, which leads to the next part where he says, 
If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. That means fruitful labor for me. How can we look at this at ourselves? I, I want to ask you, if you were to fill in the blank, like what Paul says here, and we can pull this up. If you were to say and answer this of your life, for me to live is blank. Or another way for us to say it is what I live for is blank. Would you be able to say Christ? For me to live is Christ. What I'm about is Christ. What I live for is Christ. You want to know where idols creep up? It's whenever that blank gets filled with something else. For to me to live is pleasure. For to me to live is relationships. For to me to live is success. For to me to live is popularity. For to me to live is entertainment. For to me to live is fame. Or you could even go on the negative side and think the wrong direction in that. For me to live is anxiety. For to me to live is hopelessness. For to me to live is pain. And what I want to tell you is the way that we fill in that blank, we see who really is Lord of our lives. We see if we would also be able to say with Paul, I will not be ashamed. Christ will be honored. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So how can you really see, okay, how can you say, okay, Mary, well, how can I understand? I think I say for me to live is Christ. How can I know whether that's right or not? Once again, I think the rubric for understanding is what Paul just said. If you were to stand before the Lord today, would you be ashamed of how you've lived? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about pre-Christ. I'm not talking about some of the mistakes that you've made. I'm talking about if you were to look at, let's just say the last year of your life, would you have reason to be ashamed for the way that you've lived? I want to ask this. In, in 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul tells Timothy to use this book, to be like a worker in studying it and knowing it so that you can be a worker who's approved, who has no need to be ashamed because you've rightly handled the word of truth. If you were to look at the last year of your life and you were to stand before the Lord, would you be able to say, Lord, I'm ashamed of what I have not done with this? If you were to stand before the Lord today, would he say, you know what? I was glorified in your life. I was honored in your life. Or would we be ashamed knowing that, yes, in some ways he was honored, but in some ways he wasn't. This is the rubric for how do we see what's there. And once again, y'all, please hear me. I'm not beating y'all with a stick. I'm saying I think that we miss it. I think that we miss the main thing so often. And because we forget that the main thing in your and my life is to advance the kingdom, we forget that the main thing about me is to live unashamed. The main thing about me is to live in such a way that I say, Jesus, I'm unashamed in how I've lived. I'm unashamed if I die. I'm unashamed if I live. You are glorified. You are magnified in my life. Make us a magnifying glass for the kingdom. Once again, make tech different because you and I are here. And y'all, once again, it's hard to preach passages that I look at and I just go, man, God, I have fallen short in so many ways. But remember, Paul is writing to a church who he knows has as well. And Paul's writing to them to encourage them to say, remember the main thing. 
And he's saying, this is how you make the main thing the main thing. Live is Christ. And remember that dying is gained. And I would better put it this way. My motto is, I will not be ashamed. Christ will be honored. Christ will be magnified. So we see first, we see the Christian's main concern is the advancement of the gospel. Secondly, we see the Christian's main purpose is to live for Christ or to live for the gospel. And the third thing we see is this. The Christian's main desire is to be with Christ. The Christian's main desire is to be with Christ. Look again at verse 21. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Hear that again. For, me, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Yo, how does our world treat death? It's the worst thing possible, right? Death must be avoided at all costs. Do anything you possibly can to get away from it. Death means the end. Death is the enemy. Death must be avoided at all costs. And we see Paul here saying, to die is gain. If there's any countercultural idea that we will take from tonight is this, is that my mindset? And how can that be my mindset? What is, what is he really talking about? Well, he continues in verse 22 through 23. He says this, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. What's he saying? I'm sure many of you have heard this in, in a relationship. You've, if you're a guy, you definitely have said this. You've said to another guy in a relationship, man, you're whipped. Or dude, you are whipped. Or who wears the pants in that relationship, right? Something like that. You've thrown out something along those lines. Well, I've always been extremely excited and happy to say I have been whipped since the day Emily and I started dating. Not like physically, that sounded kind of weird, but I've been whipped in the relationship, right? Dear Lord, help us all. <laughs> So anyway, hopefully we can recover. Hopefully we, anyway, so, so this is something that has without a doubt been the case for me. Without a doubt, it's been the case for me. I've been married, we've been married for over five years and it's still the case for me. Whenever Emily and I are not together, whenever we, whenever I'm gone, whether it be gone for a weekend or if she's gone, y'all, it is hard for me. It is really hard for me. And like whenever she leaves, that's whenever I realize even more, I'm like, man, like, gosh, I love this girl like crazy. And even crazier, she loves me. Like, it's crazy. And, and we've been married for this long. Y'all, I, I can even remember last year, ski trip. Whoop, it's one of the best things we do, right? It's one of the funnest things we do. It's one of the great ways to be able to get to know each other, right? And, and we went last year. We took 63 students. That's great. The year before, we took 23. And so it was great to have more students get to go. But you know what? Last year, whenever I went, even though it was 10 times more fun in a lot of ways, I knew something was missing. You know why? Because the first time I went, Emily was with me. The second time I went, Emily wasn't with me. And yeah, I had fun. Yeah, I had a blast, but I wanted her to be there. Anytime I'm doing something and she isn't there, I know it isn't quite as good as it could possibly be. And this is what I'm saying is my desire is to be with Emily because I love her. And what Paul is saying is times 20, my desire is to be with Emily. Jesus. 
My desire is to be with him. Yes, my desire is to make his name known. My desire is to be here. But if I had my choice, I want to be with Jesus. Y'all, we have been so falsely educated or undereducated about what heaven is really all about. We've had this mystical and false idea that you don't do anything. You float around and you just sing all the time. And that's not true. One of the things that, that Jesus talks about is bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth, of making earth new. In other words, you're going to have a body like you have right now. You're just not going to be hurting. In other words, you're going to have something to do. You're going to have work to do. You're going to have more pleasure than you ever could have imagined. Yo, you know how messed up our minds are? Is If you're like me, there are times I really don't want to die because I think I'll miss something here on earth. I think I'll miss something. I think once I get to heaven, I'm going to be like, oh, man, you know, is there basketball in heaven? If there's not basketball where you can't dislocate your shoulder, it'd be great. Like, like wait a minute, is there really going to be, so is this really going to be that good? Is there going to be ice cream up there? Is there going to be like, you have these dumb thoughts sometimes, right? And the truth is this, y'all, heaven is more amazing than you and I could ever comprehend. It's better than you and I could ever comprehend. And what Jesus says is it's going to be better. And what Paul is simply saying is, y'all, here's the deal. Death is not loss ever if you're a follower of Jesus. It's not something you run to and you try and go get. No, but whenever it comes time to die, it's not something to run from. Rather, it's something to delight in. And do you want to know why he was able to say to die is gain? The way you fill in the first blank of for to me to live is blank it will determine how you fill in the back blank. You see, whenever you say, for to me to live is pleasure, what it's saying is for me to die is to no longer have pleasure. For me to live is relationships, that means to die is to be lonely. For me to live is fame, that means to die is to be unknown. For me to live is career, that means to die is to no longer have that purpose. But what Paul can say is for me to live is Christ. I wanna live for Christ, and if I die, you know what? I get to go and be with him. How much better is that? That is my desire. That is what I want because it is so much better. And Paul is saying we have to understand the way you fill in that first blank will determine the way you view death, either as loss or as gain. And I want to encourage you tonight and I want to challenge you tonight to recognize what idols fill the first blank. What things vie for your affections in that first blank? How does the main thing not stay the main thing? How do we not look at the advancement of the gospel as the main thing? How do we let other things creep in? You know, even more amazing is, is I want you to see the last few verses that Paul brings in here. As he says this, and we'll talk about this more next week, but Paul says, 24 and following, he says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. You want to know how sold out for Jesus Paul is? Is his reason for staying alive is not even selfish. His reason for staying alive and saying, I still have reason for being here is because he sacrificially loves the people around him. He says, my desire is to go with, be with Jesus, but you know what? I want to be here to help y'all. I want to be here to set the record straight. You're being persecuted in Philippi. I want to tell you that even in the midst of that, the gospel can be advanced. 
I'm going to tell you, you have things going on in your life that are vying for your attention. I want to tell you, even in the midst of that, the gospel would be advanced. Paul says that he is so sold out for Jesus Christ, essentially this. I want to stay alive, not because of me, not because of my career, not because of anything else in my life, but this. I want to help people know and follow Jesus. Essentially, once again, he goes back to making the main thing the main thing. I want to help people advance the gospel. My weak brothers over here, I want to strengthen them. My lost people over here, I want them to hear the gospel. And Paul lays out the main thing and how we can live for that here. He says the, the Christian's main concern is the advancement of the gospel. The Christian's main purpose is to live for Christ. The Christian's main desire is to be with Christ. Y'all, one of the greatest examples that we have of this is a missionary that I'm sure many of you have heard of. His name is Jim Elliott. His story is told so often, and, and people even who maybe don't know much about him have heard quotes about him. Maybe you don't even know you've heard quotes about him. But Jim Elliott was one of those guys who fully embodied this, of saying the advancement of the gospel is number one, to live as Christ, to die as gain. I will not be ashamed. Christ will be honored for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And just to tell you a little bit about him, he actually died whenever he was 28 years old, which is crazy for me because I'm 29. He died whenever he was 28 years old because he felt the call to take the gospel to people who have never heard it before. He went to a remote area in the jungle in Ecuador to an Indian tribe and sought to bring the gospel to them. And listen to what happened to him. After some initial contact with these people, after some initial getting around them and trying to tell them about the gospel, one of the men in the tribe lied to a tribal leader about the missionary's intentions. And on January 8th, 1956, 10 members of the tribe killed Elliot and his four companions. Somebody there lied about what they were there for. And it cost them their life. That could have been the end of it, right? That was it. But Jim Elliot was a avid writer. He journaled a lot. He had a diary. And y'all, in his diary, we, we get certain things of his heart. And y'all, he just had this gospel perspective like Paul. And it changed the way he lived. And later on, more missionaries went to the same group in Ecuador and they became followers of Jesus. And you know what they didn't worry about is the death. They worried about the people that they would know Jesus Christ and it happened. Whereas the world would look at it and say, yeah, but they died. They would say, no, we're more alive than you could ever imagine. And we advanced the gospel. We completed our mission. Because we were there, the gospel was advanced. I want you just to hear some quotes from him in his heartbeat. On living boldly, he said this, forgive me, Father, for being so ordinary while claiming to know such an extraordinary God. You hear the heartbeat of that? Forgive me, God, for being so ordinary while claiming to know so extraordinary of a God. On living on mission and evangelism, he said this, Father, make of me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to a decision. Let me not just be a milepost on a single road, but make me a fork that men must turn one way or another on facing Christ in me. In other words, whenever people come in contact to me, or whenever people come in contact with me, make me live in such a way that they must make a decision on who they are in Christ and what they're gonna do for Christ. Don't let me just be a milepost they see on the road. Let me be a fork in it. And one that most of you have probably heard, he said this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. 
of which he's echoing Luke 9, 24. But Jesus said, if anyone would save his life, he'll lose it. But if anyone loses his life for my sake, he'll save it. And then following, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul or forfeits his soul? Y'all, this is what it looks like to live sold out for the gospel. I wanna ask you tonight, how will you respond? I have three questions I'm gonna put up and I want, I want uh, you to leave them up, Jenna. And I want you to see these. The first question I wanna ask you is, is the advancement of the gospel important to you? First and foremost, you have to answer that question. Is the advancement of the gospel important to you? And I'd follow that up. If you say yes, is the gospel being advanced because of you? Is the gospel, is Christianity at Tech gonna be different because you're here? Are you allowing yourself to be used by the Lord to reach this campus with the gospel? Is the gospel at the forefront of your mind? Is it the main thing? Secondly, I wanna ask you, what do you live for? What drives you? Can you say, I am not ashamed? I will not be ashamed. And even more so, can you say, Christ will be magnified in me? Christ will be magnified in my life. But if you're like me, if you say, Merrick, if I were to stand before Christ, I know there's areas in my life I would be ashamed. I want you to know the beauty of Jesus is he says, come to me, confess to me. I will forgive you. I will help you in this journey. I won't hold it against you. Your sin will be as far as the east is from the west. Your lack of utilizing this the way you need to, studying it, memorizing, meditating on it, I won't remember that and hold that against you. Repent and let's change it. How can you live unashamed? And the last question is, is Christ honored in you? Is he magnified in you? Will we live for Jesus? Y'all, once again, I wanna end this by, by once again telling you, this is a tough passage. This is a tough passage. You know why? Because there's no one in this room who could stand up and say, follow me. What I know is this much, is if everybody in this room took what Paul said and made it the main thing, y'all, we could change this campus. We could change this state. We could change the world. You wanna know why? Because whenever people live out the gospel, it is attractive. When people live for something bigger than themselves, it is attractive. And I wanna ask you, I wanna beg of you, just like me, what needs to change Y'all, some of you may say, Merrick, look, I want to do those things, but to be honest, I just don't know how. Y'all, this is what our small groups really are trying to do this year. It's hard to get in community this small. It's hard to be more vulnerable. But look, small groups are essentially this, a bunch of people who don't know everything about what they're doing, trying to figure it out together and running the race together. If you want to say, look, I want to learn more about this, I want to encourage you to get in a small group. Talk to your people around you, and y'all run this race together. You never were meant to do it alone. And last thing I want to ask, maybe after looking at this, you may realize, you know what, Merrick? I'm not even about the gospel. I've never really put Christ first in my life. And I want to give my life to him. I want to encourage you to do that tonight. I want to encourage you to write it on the card. And I, I'd love to meet up with you. I want to encourage you to come talk to me or Jacob or Mike or, or my wife Emily in the back. But however you need to respond tonight, I want to encourage you to do so. Let's pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, God, I, I thank you so much, Lord, for your word. God, I thank you so much for, for men like Paul who, in the midst of the struggle, did not think it necessary to sit here and complain but rather what he said, what I want you to know is the gospel is advancing, so in that I get joy. I value that more than anything. Father, I pray you move in us in this room tonight. God, help us not just listen to this and leave unchanged. Help us not just walk out these doors and just say, okay, we heard another sermon or we went through Philippians or we're ready for next week, God, but help us say, Lord, make me a fork in the road. Lord, make me someone who says, I am not a fool. I will give up what I cannot lose. And I will run this race for you. God, help us do all things for you. Help us see the movement that you can make in our hearts and our lives. God, help us not feel inferior. Help us see you gave us the spirits that you could work in our hearts and lives. God, speak to us now. And help us respond to you accordingly. Let's call this Father in your name. Amen.